Hi everyone, it's Joakim Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. Today I'm talking with Karolina Korpo, the founder and CEO of Tent Muse, a Helsinki-based startup that is working on an interactive romance reading and self-publishing platform. Karolina started the company as a solo founder, building the vision, the team and the company. Her background is in PC gaming, where she worked as the lead game designer for games like City Skylines and Cities in Motion. In this podcast episode, we talk about Carolina's journey into startups, where the idea for Tent Muse came from, and how the creator economy is shaping gaming. But before we go to this episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Favro, a new tool for collaborative planning that more and more game studios are starting to use. It was created by game industry veterans to help studios doing frequent live drops of features and content to get development, marketing, and other teams in sync. Check it out. There's a free trial at favro.com. And if you use the promo code ELITEGAMEDEVFABRO, you're going to get a 25% discount on your purchase. That's favro.com. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com Okay, we're recording. Hi Carolina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. It's going to be interesting to talk about your career in gaming and your startup Tent Muse. Like the the first question I wanted to sort of throw to you is how did you make your way into the games industry and to eventually found Tent Muse? That is, that is a long answer, but that's why we're here doing a podcast. Yes. Uh, so originally, um, I was my my original uh, education is for graphic design, actually. So I was planning to uh, become a, a graphic designer, maybe make some advertisements, uh, book covers, all kinds of graphic design. Uh, but then it turned out when I was studying that games and digital media and all of this is a bit more interesting to me, maybe. Uh, so we had also in the same same uh, facility the programming students, and they usually needed some kind of graphics and someone to do the visuals. And I I was usually the one just because I was kind of interested in that and I wanted to do a lot of that and less of the like physical uh, graphic design tasks that that resulted in like magazines and and books so that's what I was doing a lot and then when I noticed that for the um 
uh, trainee time that was required by the school. Um, it was back in the day when there was still email lists for this. So the school email list had an email about the position of, with game testing. And I started thinking like, does this mean that I can actually play a game for the mm. six months or so that the traineeship was required to last and that made me excited so I applied they even they had a test for all the applicants and I passed it uh, and then I was testing games for ended up being there for about two years even Uh, this was the time before the iPhone so we did Java Java games for like uh, Nokia Blackberries uh, Samsung phones all of these before the uh, App Store and iPhone. So uh, quite an interesting time. Mobile games were not big business back then, and they were quite different from what we have now. So no micropayments, no subscriptions. It was basically you send an SMS and and that costs money. And as a return message, you get the game and then you can play it. So very, very interesting times. And we actually worked in that studio with uh, a quite a lot of big IPs because it was it was a common practice to also have a game to go with a movie. So like Indiana Jones, uh, Star Wars, uh, all, all of these things. And we made several games for those. And I was the one to do testing for some of these. And I, I really liked um, the fact that that gave me a kind of overall picture of what the game is when it first comes to testing as the concept and how it evolves into the actual final product. But so then I, I finished my studies with the graphic design um, while I was working. And then I promised to myself that I would never again study and work at the same time because that was a bit hectic. Uh, then the, the studio was closed. <laughs> so uh, the the 2008 uh, depression hit and suddenly the U.S. owners did not want to have a costly studio in Finland. So they decided to close the doors. So I applied for uh, internet and game studies uh, at the university to do a master's program. And then I also was looking for any, any kind of a job really with games that would allow me to use the graphic design skills I had. Mm-hmm. So uh, out of the ashes of, of the Universal Studio that made the Java games uh, rose at least, I don't know, five or six new startups. And I jumped into one of these as a, as a graphic designer. So I was an artist. And then naturally, I also got accepted to the master's program. So then I was again studying and working at the same time. Um, but in, in that team uh, where I landed, the team was so small, we were basically four people and the uh, first iPad had just come out. So we were doing doing games for iPhones and iPads. And uh, I ended up also doing some design because simply for the fact that someone needed to do it. And I found it that I'm actually quite interested in that. And it it was something that I felt was quite natural to me to understand the balances of the game and especially doing all of the writing for the game so that uh, I was responsible for all the art and uh, all the text and some of the balancing and kind of game design decisions of how the game proceeds, what what happens next, what are the the levels and what are the narratives behind those. Uh, And that's when I switched to uh, Colossal Order, who were doing I think it was the first Cities in Motion game back in the day. So a 
public transportation simulation game for PC. Um, people told us that we're crazy, that no one plays on PC anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was the, the heyday really of the um, mobile gaming. So micropayment mobile games were, were the thing and doing very well. Um, but we, we wanted to do PC games. So that's what we did. So there I was studying, studying the Internet and Game Studies master's program and doing simulation games um, until, well, we, we did uh, two of the um, Cities in Motion games. And then, then we decided that now is the time to make the game that we actually wanted to make. So we were planning uh, to make a city building game because it seemed like that is the 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 best thing in the simulation genre the ones that sell the most that appeal to the widest audience that's a city building game so that's why we wanted to make one and of course at that time um, ea also announced that they will they will be coming up with (laughs) new sim city yeah so that was a bit challenging but this is how i how i um, ended up in the games industry i was supposed to be a graphic designer but then it kind of escalated uh, at Colossal, I was working with the city city building games for about seven years, and then I felt like after Skylines and and the huge success that it was, that I didn't have that many more ideas, and maybe for these kinds of games, so that city building simulation was maybe something that I wanted to steer away from for a while. So then I jumped on to actually Vekos. Uh, the the state-owned monopoly that actually does gambling games in Finland, because that seemed like that is completely different. Like, how far can you get from from city simulation and yeah. well, gambling games basically? Yeah. Um, but while there, I got the idea that since I had always been interested in the in the the writing, the narratives of the games, like how can I combine this with the knowledge I have? And this ended up being Tent Muse in the end. So we wanted to basically, uh, or we want to basically build a platform that would allow people to make um, text adventures. So kind of games without the graphics. And that's that's where I am now. Yeah, that's like you you had like you went through all of the phases in like a game gaming career. You started off on the QA side as a tester, and then ended up doing. Uh, like game design for a big title that did really well. And then you went to the gambling side for a bit. <laughs> that sounds like yeah. you did it all. But like, <laughs> what drove you to do a startup then? And like, hmm. I'll ask this in two questions, sort of like, why did you want to do the startup? And secondly, did you have fears about becoming an entrepreneur and, you know, taking that leap of faith then? Yeah, those are very good questions. Um, of course, I, I did have fears. It is always uh, like a uh, like that you never know what happens. And of course, as time time has shown us, uh, that maybe wasn't the best time as the pandemic hit about four months later after I had transitioned into an entrepreneur, uh, which made things a bit difficult. But for me, the thing was that I had I had seen a, a, a medium sized studio doing the Java games. I had seen a tiny, tiny startup uh, studio when I was an artist. Then uh, with Colossal, kind of this, uh, not not a scale up in a sense, like a very small team working on products that are quite niche. 
uh, I had experienced what it means when a product does really well. And then I had went on to Vekos to see like how a big corporate company works. And I felt like I had quite a good uh, idea of what kind of work would I, uh, what kind of work environment and culture I would want to create. And that's what I really wanted to do with the startup. And we have been finding very good ways of working, like what kind of um, uh, like objectives, how to set objectives, uh, how yeah. to communicate with the whole team, how to work remotely, how to focus and crystallize the whole vision. So this has been very, very interesting. And um, I think I can bring the best sides of both the small studio world uh, and even working with publishers all the way to what, what were the best sides of the big corporation and working in one of those. Yeah. Do you think it's like it was also your time to do the startup? Was that at all in, well, yeah, in a way? I, yeah, I would say so. Because basically after doing a, uh successful title checking out the big corporation uh startup was kind of the natural way to go because mm. for me to also develop my skills uh as a leader uh in in uh, communication running teams uh that seemed like the way because at Vekos I was actually working as a producer so that was a bit different than being a game designer um and I, I really wanted to hone my skills with how to make this all happen. What, what are the pieces uh, uh, that are the moving pieces when you are running a startup? And it's been amazing to learn all of this. Of course, it hasn't been easy all the time, especially with the pandemic, um, making it quite difficult to, to just meet people and create that trust and communal feeling in the team. But uh, definitely it is something that... Uh, that I find very, I've, I've learned so much even now. Mm. And now the company has been running for about a year and a half. So mm. I think I've learned more than in like the last decade. <laughs> I just yeah, did yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally relate to that uh, startup experience. It, like let's go back a bit to the city skyline. What, what were sort of like the big takeaways from that? like big success as a game mm. that you still think about today? Um, well, I'd say that one of the things that to me is the best thing in Skylines and that can be replicated and that I am uh, interested in is that the whole game system um, was designed around the, the kind of tutorial system. And uh, like even with the mobile games, the tutorial is something that, is very crucial to keeping the players. And um, this is difficult to explain. Kind of my thinking is that um, because I, I have been doing the academic game, game research and studies too, so that games are actually just big learning machines. A, a person yeah. playing a game is learning how to play that game at the same time as they are playing. And the kind of dopamine uh, hit that we get from playing is when we... Uh, succeed in something we learn something we we get this uh flash of insight like oh this is how it's done mm. so i i believe that many more games could be built around the whole kind of tutorial system in the sense that the tutorial should not be separate from the rest of the game um some players need a bit more um hand holding in the beginning and that is of course fine but there are also solutions for this. So in Skylines, the whole system is that 
the game try, game system tries to understand if the player knows what they are doing. So that the very experienced player who has played all the SimCities, who knows all the ropes, has, has no challenges anywhere, they rarely see the tutorial messages at all because the system kind of notices that, yeah, they have zone buildings, those buildings have electricity and water, everything is fine, that's good. And even then, if, if this player would just simply forget something or otherwise just miss a thing or there's something new that they don't understand, then they see only one kind of pop-up saying like, hey, maybe you should try this one. And that is that feels very good to the players. They, they generally want to feel confident and they want to feel that they know how this works. And these players, these experienced players, are unlikely to choose if they're asked, like, would you like to have a tutorial? They will say no. But even if they still have trouble playing the game, um, they they say that the game is bad <laughs> because yeah. that's how people just play these games. If if yeah. they are not good at it, they, they say the game is bad. And in a sense, that is actually correct because it is the game's job and our job as game developers to make sure that the people know how to use the game so that they can have fun. But what this did in Skylines is also that if someone is very inexperienced, uh, they can actually take as long as they ever want to zone the first buildings to get the water pipes there. And the game, you, you will not go into game over. The game will just try to teach you again and again how to do this thing. And only when when the system notices that the player seems to have mastered this, then something new unlocks. Uh, and this is kind of built throughout the whole game because this just is the way people want to play, especially the sandbox games. They want to learn. They want to try different things. They want to see how this thing works and get a feeling of the living world inside of the game. Yeah. I think that's like the whole learn being a learning machine. Uh, sort of like that that game that you're playing is teaching you things and as you master things you unlock that that makes so much sense and it's probably a lot of people forget about these facts when they're just you know cloning the game that uh, that everybody else is doing especially on mobile and they just proceed without thinking about all these nuances and and this the beauty of actually like mastering hmm. learning yeah, yeah. And and kind of us as, as humans, as animals, like the whole feeling of fun is clearly tied to some kind of a learning experience. So that why, why we even experience things as fun, that is a motivation for us to keep trying so that we get to, get to learn a new thing. We, we find something new, we learn something new, we gain something new. Uh, this is all a system that drives us us as animals towards learning rather than just stagnating and and staying staying in one place and doing things the same way again so that games and learning are very uh, intimately tied and it is not always understood by game developers and I, I guess it doesn't always need to be understood a thing that feels like fun just feels like mm. fun but there is more to it and, and there is research to show how this whole system works yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with this uh, notion. Uh, then, then the, like thinking about these systems, uh, how about the games company as a system? Like, what is your feeling about how a games company can create an environment and these systems where 
where it's sort of like supporting the game creation in a way that uh, the magic happens like what you what you did with uh, city skyline sort of like the magic happens so what do you think about this environment creation and system creation that that is a very difficult question because there are so so many different teams and different people so it might be kind of a personal feeling of uh, who fits what kind of a team and what kind of ways of working but mm. i would say that the basics at least for me is that um defining the goals is is the key because that gives gives you safety to experiment within the kind of box that you have defined together i like to usually start from who are we making games for or who is the target audience or if there is something else like a publisher who needs a certain type of a of a game then that is kind of the basis and within that framework the whole team the whole company uh, can do ideation and be creative and then this kind of framework also helps with that if if I come to you my teammate with my best idea ever and you feel that it just doesn't fit the thing that we're doing uh, we kind of with the framework we kind of have an objective way of checking this so if we have like design pillars uh, defined at the start of the project or we have publisher expectations uh, or we have a target audience then you and I can together check like does this idea actually fit what we have together planned to be the the limits of this box that we're working in and if it doesn't uh, then it's kind of an objective way of saying like like thank you Carolina that's a nice idea but I don't think it fits this one and it's not mm. so much about like, do you like my idea uh, or do I like my idea? It's more about like, is it what we are making right now? So yeah. I, I prefer all of these systems that create the psychological safety for the team so that expectations are known and can be met. And that this, because creativity is kind of personal and a bit of a sensitive topic. Uh, people mm. love their own ideas. I know I do. <laughs> but, yeah. but then yeah. it, it isn't about, is it a good idea? It's about, is it is it the idea that fits this product? Yes, that's excellently good. Yeah. Uh, then going into Tent Muse a bit here specifically, I remember you talking and pitching this idea. This was the fall of 2019 mm. in a having lunch i believe it was like the days yeah. when we could have lunch oh. <laughs> yes, it will happen again yes uh, can you talk about the the inception of the mm. idea for tent muse and sort of like discovering that need and that audience for the product mm. yeah absolutely because that I, I come from a strong writing background so i've i've done uh tabletop role-playing games i've written short stories uh, and the game writing i've done lots of that um and when i then i started noticing these uh, trends that uh, a lot of people who um were, were like hobbyist authors so they liked writing and and uh, making up stories uh they they were clearly talking about wanting to make like visual novel type of games but then the problem was also like well who who does all the programming and who does all the images and and these kinds of things and then when i look deeper into the market like like are there these kind of games where are they what, who is playing them uh there is quite a lot of uh different visual novel romance games on uh, steam and dating games too 
but I felt that that's pro- not where the audience probably is because looking at um, who consumes these uh, romance games, who wants visual novels, who actually reads comic books and and physical books and ebooks, um, adult women are the main target audience, and they are not that much on Steam. So that then I checked uh, the mobile um, marketplaces, like, well, what what are the games offered here? And looked at that. Uh, there are excellent games on mobile that have to do with dating, romance, uh, even text adventures, and uh, these visual novel type of things. But they all seem to lean towards, um, first of all, micropayments. And then the visuals were not always kind of the the high quality that this audience needs because visually it is quite a demanding audience but then then it started to kind of i started growing this idea in my mind uh and then i went to um i I was in a student pitching contest where one of the teams was pitching a kind of a visual novel type of thing. And then they mentioned in the last sentence that, oh, we also made this this tool that you can make more of these visual novels. And this was quite different. It was all about uh, this prison environment where you have to get a reputation up with certain, certain gangs and, and all of this. But that's, that's when kind of my brain clicked that what if there was a platform where anyone can make a kind of a visual novel game, but without the visuals? Because this was the problem that the authors were having, that they want to do something uh, digital. They want to do something maybe even interactive, um, but for them, the, the tools were not there. And this is kind of in the same same area as Skylines in the sense that Skylines is a sandbox game. So basically what my task was, uh, was to make sure that there is interesting toys on the in the sandbox for people to play with. So the playing of City Skylines or another sandbox title, any kind of a city builder is really self-expression and creativity of like what kind of a city the player wants to make. What what kind of a city can they make? What do they want to try out? What does their city look like? And this is the same with Tent Muse and, and the platform that we're building. We're making tools so that people can tell the stories that they want to tell. We don't want to tell our story. We want others in, enable, to enable others to tell theirs. And this, this was really the thing that there is tons of people out there uh, who don't get their voices heard. In the traditional publishing world, it is quite difficult to get published. So why not have a platform where everyone can do this and to add to this, um, the interactivity side seemed like a perfect match because my background as a games, games writer um, was like, for me, it was natural that of course the, these people want to make choices. And testing this uh, with different authors and, and readers, we are now getting indication that this clearly is something that both the readers like when, when told that it is like reading a book, but occasionally you can make a choice. Generally, the uh, target audience, especially adult females, are like, yeah, okay, so when, when does it come out? And also for the authors, uh, the normal process that they go through when they write a linear story is actually 
that they have to choose between different scenarios happening. So they have to choose, like, is it this scene or is it this scene? Is this what the characters will do or this other thing? And when we tell them, like, like that you can actually do both, just make a choice and then put both of those scenes in there. Uh, that makes it easier even for them. Mm. So kind of, and this is a super interesting project in the sense that it is kind of in the in the crossroads of reading games and entertainment and also interactivity because interactive entertainment is clearly uh, up and coming there is uh, interactive audio stories uh, netflix is doing interactive movies and tv series and basically even netflix um, has been hiring game designers to help them with this because i bet they noticed that Writing a linear story is quite different from actually doing a, something that is non-linear and that has choices because the whole uh, story arc and the whole whole drama kind of changes with that. So people kind of need to learn these interactive entertainment creation skills somewhere at some point so that we can make all of these interactive movies and this interactive audio uh entertainment uh, products someone needs to be able to make the scripts and yeah. at tent muse we're hoping that we are the ones that build the tools that people can learn to do these interactive scripts with yeah yeah i remember just talking about the next netflix experience so they had the bandersnatch yeah uh, like was it like a movie basically which you went yeah. through and then you had choices and i remember like just replaying through all the choices was very interesting sort of like seeing yeah. all the different endings and i bet that's that's one way that the mm. whole interactive sort of like story can play out in the future what like if you think about like what is sort of like holding off this thing going mainstream i remember like in university here in helsinki uh i was in this media lab and they they had like a department and this was 2003 looking at uh, interactive storytelling but it's still sort of like is waiting for that breakthrough there we had episodes and choices on mobile which became big hits mm. what do you think is sort of like what is needed to happen to push this whole genre into kind of like getting mainstream popularity well well my best guess is that we need easier tools uh uh, choices doesn't even accept um, user-made content. Episode does, but the creation tool is very complex. And both of these are kind of limited by the visuals. When, when we think about movies, um, I bet movies would also have quite different stories if they didn't have the huge pool of books to dip into, to choose like what, what books can be made into movies. And just the fact that there is a long tradition of, of uh, writing linear fiction and movie scripts, uh, that just means that people learn how to do this in a, in a way that the quality then goes up. So that I believe what, what we need for interactive entertainment to go to mainstream is actually just a platform that allows people to write more of this. So that then we can get the, the kind of high quality um, stories because people train more they learn how to use these things they they learn to understand what does it mean for the story to have this these uh, alternative um, scenes or however you will build 
the the interactivity so that i believe we all just need more practice and that is exactly <laughs> what we want to do to just like yeah post the tools out there and go like well go wild do your thing yeah i think the the whole experience or building that platform is like uh, roblox mm. took over a decade to get you know the thing yeah. finally rolling and working so it's it is a long long journey to get there but yeah. like, like you've been in gaming your whole career like how do you see this kind of creator economy like your writers being in the mix as well mm-hmm. like becoming even a bigger thing in gaming uh for game developers mm-hmm. to think about as a career to create content into these platforms like both on, on like your side on the platform and then thinking about the creators like how, how do you see that sort of like becoming a bigger thing mm-hmm. This is kind of tied also to the future of work in the sense that how will people, what what does work look like in the future? And it might be this kind of small, small streams of revenue, small, small, small streams of income to individuals. And um, I think that is what is looking like with the games, because even the latest EU regulations clearly state that people who create content need to be compensated so that this is the general direction towards which we are going that uh, there are more more and more content creators and they need to be compensated somehow and um, i'd say that especially in in a sandbox type of games because what what we at colossal saw since the first title that we released uh, cities in motion was that people want to create content they just kind of moving from the from playing a game to making something from the game isn't like that isn't a big jump as long as they have tools and the skills to use those tools they generally want to create something and share it and and show it and this also ties into streaming for example that people want to show what they have made they want to give something to other people and have this kind of uh Uh, have social interaction and show off what they have been making so that I believe strongly that as people play more and more they understand games more and more and that's when it starts to make sense to allow these people to make games also or levels or or content or anything so I, I strongly believe that that these uh, creator economies will be coming on much more strongly and even some of the game companies might be moving towards making more like platforms or tools for creativity roblox is a good example of if you have if you give the tools to people they will make a million games and that is what will happen so i mm. i really want to see everyone using their creativity and this also means that Uh, because I'm a big advocate for for uh, equality and and kind of this um, diversity. Um, when the the creation tools for games start to be accessible to say the developing countries, it means that we will get games that look like those cultures that fit those cultures, so that then there isn't this kind of gatekeeping anymore. That it is the the well-to-do white people in the West generally who make all the games, so all the games kind of look like us. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. but it will also open up this whole, whole uh, uh, diversity and and kind of uh, abundance of different kinds of creative uh, 
ways of making games and different kinds of games. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to sort of like the hmm. that sort of like becoming the mainstream. Of, yeah. Of uh, yeah. You, um, like you have been looking into this space for a few years now. What do you think is like the, the creator space in gaming? Where can we see the next sort of like interesting things that haven't happened yet? to become more popular in the next five to 10 years, sort of like thinking about game mechanics, you know, different platforms. Yeah. Right now there is a a very interesting trend about the merge games. There is a lot of those and they clearly like fill a need and uh, narrative is on the rise. Although defining what is narrative in games is, is a bit challenging because it might be more about the, um, kind of like is it about the mechanics or is it something that that is a reward for playing a game but still the the emphasis towards making the games more like experiences with some kind of a story that is memorable is interesting because it is quite difficult to tell stories about playing Candy Crush because it's like then I found the red candy and suddenly (laughs) everything went boom that's that's something people tell each other so the narrative adding to that is that if at the end of the level, it's like, then this happened and I was so surprised. This is what creates this space where people discuss it. So uh, for me, the narrative side is very interesting and, and I would want to see a lot more of that. Um, like 10 years ago, the stories that the games were telling were not that uh, deep or complex i'd say but i think that is going away and we're going into more more creative narratives in the games and as for the target audiences i'm i'm especially interested in seeing like who and how can we crack the um uh what what the elderly actually want to play of course all of us are getting older all the time so in in the future at some point it will be basically the games we're playing now but there is still a room for this, um, like for the current elderly people, like what, what would they want? What, what would they need? Mm, and yeah. like generally uh, the female audience is a bit underserved still. Uh, like women play the same kinds of games also as men. Of course, it's not a clear division, but there is this more like um, that, that the, the genres that are more, considered feminine at least um like maybe more casual games these kind of nurture games um even just like farming games there hasn't been a lot of those lately so that there are these kind of things that that still have a lot of space in them and i think especially the um, adult female audience is very interesting in a as a whole because it hasn't yet been fully fully uh, found out like what do they want to do and do they even want a game because at, at 10 years we assume that it's maybe not a game they want it might be an interactive book that they actually want uh, yeah. but it, it might be that the entertainment that they are seeking would not go with the name of a game of course you could mm. call an interactive book a game but if you slap that on the advertisements this these people will not buy it because they don't want a game yeah yeah, it is sort of like entertainment. Like you could think about like currently a lot of people are spending time on looking at social media news feeds as a sort of like a game as well, yeah. like as an entertainment format. Like, yeah. like if, if, he, if he can craft sort of like, you know, 
narratives that are moving for people like when they mm. when they like they spent half an hour looking at the news feed versus half an hour looking at a beautiful narrative like which will sort of like make them feel better is one yeah and and oh. the things that are kind of persistent is that humans are all always interested in other humans and the stories yeah. of other humans like how are things going for a human <laughs> what is what is happening and that we are playful and and we want to play uh, all kinds of games and also kind of the play that that children do almost all mm. games are based on some form of play uh, mm. that you can see in children so that there is lots of room still for this exactly yeah totally hey i i want to go back to to the company that you've been building now just for a few questions before we start wrapping up let's let's go into kind of like your early lessons now from that time that you've started tent muse that you you specifically want first time founders to know like what are sort of like good things there to, to think about Uh, yeah, because this is something that I'm really passionate about. I want to help other people to to succeed. And I think the best thing about the Finnish game industry is that we are so helpful. Like I could go to anyone and just ask like, hey, how did you do this thing? Can you tell me? Uh, can, can you give me advice? So that my my first and foremost advice to anyone founding a games company or any kind of a company maybe is that go and ask questions like just just go and ask yeah. <laughs> get get answers from many sources then see what you have collected and make your own decisions based on those but definitely the the openness and helpfulness of the finnish game industry is something that i'm super proud of uh, just to be a part of that and i found it so helpful in in everything so that uh, i don't know i felt so much safer founding a company when I know that I have people who I can ask things from. Uh, so yeah. get the best ad- advisors, uh, ask for advice from anyone you can think think of. And well, if they mm. say no, go to the next person. Yeah. Yeah. People usually want to be pretty helpful. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what have you noticed as the best ways for you personally to develop as a, as a CEO? Mm. Well, it also does come back to the advice. So um, definitely yeah. finding finding the people who can um, help me understand what what are the challenges and how what are the options to solving these. Um, I've I get a huge benefit from clearly defining goals and prioritizing everything, and especially just talking to other CEOs and other people who have been where I have been. Um, that that definitely does it for me and just just being there with my like hands in the dirt doing this stuff uh, that is that is how one learns yeah you you have so many different hats that you're wearing in a startup and the early yes. days yeah um, let's go to the final questions what is your favorite book and why my favorite book and why i'd say that the uh, the hobbit by Tolkien uh, simply because it it is the perfect story it was one of the first fantasy books that I read um, as a child and it led me to this path of going to the library and borrowing different kinds of fantasy books so I've, I'm an avid reader and I've always been and I think that is part of 
how how I well how I am so attuned to the stories and how my imagination is kind of hardwired to build stories just reading mm-hmm. a lot and consuming a lot of stories does that so the hobbit feels more like a fairy tale so that lord of the rings is that's fancy and nice but the hobbit is is a fairy tale it has an excellent uh, story arc in the sense that you understand what is happening and where and and why what are the kind of pieces and simply that it's a it's a complete package i think it's the perfect sized uh, lord of the rings is a bit long for me yeah yeah it sounds like a, a good place to start uh probably like i i've read lord of the rings so i haven't gone to hobbit yet so i'll pick that up you should try it yeah it's it's much easier to read also <laughs> good uh so hey final question what's the the best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to ask you questions or have a have a oh, chat yeah and and please reach out to me because i really want to help help fellow entrepreneurs and i love talking about this company and project uh the best way to reach me is on linkedin So just go in there and and plop me a message or send me a friend request. Uh, that's where I am often. Nice. Hey, Carolina, this was so much fun. Uh, best you. of luck to the best of luck to you and the company and uh, and have a great summer and we'll, yeah. we'll talk soon. Yes, you too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks again, Carolina, for coming on the show. If you like our content, please do hit follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please do check out our newsletter section at EliteGameDevelopers.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter that I write and send out every Friday where I talk about the, the struggles of gaming entrepreneurs, what's going on with startups in gaming, uh, everything related. So check that out and I'll see you next week on the podcast. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.